Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Peter, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Of course, it's nice to be here. Yeah, you've done some great work on the site so far, and I know that uh, I know more about your story, but I think it'd be great for our listeners to get a sense of it too, especially because they're probably reading some of your awesome blog posts. So excited to talk through your various adventures over the last decade plus of going to different countries. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's been a good time writing. and So uh, I guess just to start us off, if you could tell us a bit about your background, where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you're living right now. Um, I am from Denver, Colorado, and uh, I lived there for like basically 29 out of my 31 years. And um, I have also studied abroad in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. And I also lived for about four months in Prague in Czech Republic. And right now I, I am in Ankara, Turkey. And I've been here for about seven months. Okay, nice. So um, that's the extent of my abroad um, at this point. At this point, and we'll see what the yeah. future holds. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it sounds like you had your start in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I hope I said that correctly, yeah. Herzegovina. Uh-huh. Um, so if you could tell us a bit about where your interest in living abroad and I guess where that particular experience and opportunity came from, I think that would be a good place for us to start. Sure, yeah. Um, well, my... My uh, parents gave me the travel bug. Um, I was uh, 14 when we went to Europe the first time, at least as a conscious person. I went there as a baby, so it doesn't really matter. But um, we went to a few different countries there, and I was just enamored with everything. I, um, I still vividly remember all that happening. I'm 31 now, so after that, it was just in my brain, and I wanted to make it happen more. and. By the time I was in university, I'd finished my second year at University of Colorado Denver, and I wanted to um, do a study abroad. So when I was looking through the list of options back in 2009, I saw basically like the common ones, Australia, China, Spain, Germany, Bosnia. And I'm like, okay, I want the weird one. <laughs> and I, because I, I really just, I wanted like to have stories, um, that, that I didn't know anybody else had. Like I knew that, um, one of my family members had been to Yugoslavia at some point, but, um, I had only read about it, seen some documentaries of the war. So it was just like, that's the one. And I think as of a couple of years ago, I'm still the only one to ever take Bosnia from that school. <laughs> So, so you you literally didn't just go by yourself that year or that semester or whatnot, but you were the only person to 
have ever taken advantage of this study abroad opportunity. Yeah, at least the entire time I remained in school and kept in touch afterwards and everything, because uh, obviously it wasn't a very popular program. But um, what what we did was we linked up with a couple of grad students from University of Denver, and then that was basically our core group over there. But I was the only undergrad. <laughs> wow, that's that's awesome. And so, what did you study while you were there? And and you know, tell us about your first months. And well, I guess actually, maybe it wasn't too long overall. I don't know how long the entire program was, but you know, what sure. was it like stepping stepping out, you know, from the airport um, into now Bosnia, where you, you know this is your first time there, and maybe the first time yeah. anyone from your school had even been there. Yeah, it was it was just like a um, completely. Uh, mind-blowing experience because I was 20. I'd never really been to another country on my own. I think I we drove to Canada with some friends once, but I got dropped off the plane in, in Zagreb, Croatia, because flights to Sarajevo still remain pretty uh, expensive these days. So we met the, met the local guides in Croatia and uh, spent a couple days going along the coast to just like getting acquainted, seeing some things there. And then uh, popping up to Sarajevo, which like driving in there, if anyone's ever been there before, it's um, it's like dry Mediterranean mountains. Then you go through a tunnel and all of a sudden you're in like Switzerland. It's <laughs> insanely beautiful up there. And then like not only that, but Bosnia is a majority Muslim country. So mm-hmm. it's got mosques everywhere. Yeah, it's completely mind blowing getting up there. Yeah. Um, the first, first few months, well, actually, yeah, it was only three months, but like, it was just, um, such an overwhelming amount of gratitude from the locals. Basically they just, they've all been traumatized. And so they, because of the Bosnian war, so they just wanted to see a foreigner there and someone who was interested in them. So I, I just got a huge amount of attention. Like we were literally on the local news when we arrived. <laughs> Um, as like, you know, the American students came, Wow, that, that wow. was, yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, and so people, as we went around Sarajevo, it's not that big of a city. It's 400,000 people. Uh, we'd go into some bars and restaurants and people would be like, I saw you, I saw your picture on TV. <laughs> so, yeah. So you got quite a bit of fanfare just coming in as a, what, 20 year old university yeah. student. It's, it's gotta yeah. be, yeah, definitely a pinch yourself kind of moment. We went to the presidential palace. We were invited. We met the president a few weeks in and everything. It was just, it was wild. Uh, I've never met the president of any other country. Yeah, I guess maybe that's a different experience from your other classmates going uh, <laughs> going to Aust- uh, Australia China. or China yeah, or Japan yeah. or uh, anywhere else really in Europe. So that's pretty yeah. awesome. And did you have otherwise, I mean, obviously it sounds like quite a shocking and crazy experience, but did you have any particular moments of, I don't know, culture shock on, on the culture yeah. side? Yeah. Well, uh, you asked uh, before too, like what we studied there and it was yeah. basically just, um, it was like a couple of, uh, it was two specialty classes over a month. Like we spent multiple hours a day doing this thing and um, it was basically just um, diving deep into what happened in Bosnia. Um, mm-hmm. this was at the, at that point it was 15 years after the war ended. So like we, we met many people that were very involved in the conflict either as victims or as like a uh, military. We met some Bosnian soldiers, mm-hmm. but the biggest experience by far 
um, I'd say, which was like one of the formative experiences of my life at this point was uh, in July of 2010, we went to, we went to Tuzla, one of the smaller cities in Bosnia. And we went, we went on this march that takes place every year. It's called the Marsh Mira uh, Peace March. And it goes from just outside of Tuzla where the old, um, front was during the war, basically like the where the Bosnian soldiers were stationed. Then the the path goes all the way to Srebrenica, and if you know anything about Bosnia, Srebrenica is where um, eight thousand seven hundred men and boys were um, basically just slaughtered. Um, mm. It's a it's a horrible story, but it was basically like the point at which the when the world saw genocide. And at mm. that point, it was just a uh, um, awakening, awakening moment for the world. So, what we did is we traced the exact path um, back to Srebrenica. We went backwards to basically mm. honor the fallen um, on the same path that they went out. So, mm. it took about three days. We walked through ridiculously mm. beautiful hills, and like uh, every village we went to, there was some old ladies would come out and give us coffee. And uh, there was about like, I think, seven thousand people on this march. So it was not only that, but just like I, I was uh, talking to locals, internationals. People were absolutely amazed that an American not only won, but there were eleven Americans on the in the group with mm-hmm. us. So mm-hmm. just talking to people from there and from elsewhere in the world uh, for three days, it was incredible and. Um, it really felt like a pilgrimage, you know, even though yeah. I wasn't from the place I was going to, it really just felt like, um, one of those mind altering journeys, uh, without the use of substances, <laughs> you know, it was one of those yeah. things. Yeah, absolutely. Really just, were, were you, were you invited on it or it was just something that, uh, you and your other, um, American friends and colleagues decided to join in on or how did that work? Um, it, it was a combination of the two. We were invited as the as basically like the guests of the um, organizations we were allied with over there, and um, we basically all had to sign up because it's not an easy walk. It's twenty five mm-hmm. miles a day, yeah. and um, and then you have to either sleep in tents that the army provides, or you can do what we did and pay a local family ten bucks each to sleep in their house, mm-hmm. and that was nice. a much better option. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we we all definitely had to volunteer for that, right? Right, and I guess just to take it back to the very beginning of your decision to even go to Bosnia for the study abroad opportunity, how did your parents and you know classmates and friends think about you taking that dive into uh, a, a much more, let's say, unknown place than maybe the rest of the study abroad students? Um, I've always had um, very supportive family and friends, so that was. It was mostly just like a keep talking to us, be safe kind of thing. Nobody was was saying to me just like, that's a horrible idea. You shouldn't do that. Not one person. I think I would cut them out of my life anyway if they said that to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I guess in total, it sounds like it was about three months. So not, you know, the longest time, but you can get a lot of good experiences and and really indeed have those wonderful memories there. felt like a year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think I was in Singapore for study abroad for four months and it also, yeah, it's just so much packed into a short period of time. Right. 
And yeah. uh, I just love to get your thoughts and you know recommendations for others out there that might be interested in studying abroad. If based on your experience, you know, would you recommend it? Are there any specific tips or advice about picking maybe a off the beaten path country or anything um, like that? I mean, like first and foremost, absolutely do not be um, do not be deterred by a place that doesn't speak your language. It doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. truly. You can get along. Um, everybody, when put in a semi-stressful situation, like going to a new country, I mean, just crossing the border can be tough sometimes. And once you're actually there, um, you can communicate with caveman language. You can communicate with your hands. That it, It's fine. And then in a few days, you know enough food, you know enough words that you can buy food and everything. Um, you can go to the store and just point and figure out numbers and then give them money. It's right. easy. Um, and your brain just works in such incredible ways that when, when you're given a challenge like that, that you can really just adapt to it. And all of a sudden, like within a couple days, you just feel natural mm-hmm. once you're there. So yeah, language seems like the scariest thing. It's definitely, um, one of the easiest things to figure, figure out on a rudimentary level. Sure, sure. Did you find it difficult to pick up the language at all? I mean, you know, and obviously maybe you didn't have a lot of time to be able to dig in, but what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, you learn the basics, yes or no, but a lot of Bosnians speak English too. Right. So it was just kind of a, um, it was like a give and take. I learned some words and had to improvise or some somebody would help me. But along the way, like as long as you're talking to people, you're going to communicate going to work out yeah absolutely have you been able to make it back since your study abroad experience there or is that on your short list of places to go or do you feel like you've kind uh, of gotten that out of it and i mean it can be hard to go back as well right because then it's it goes and you compare it to those old experiences and memories well that's true yeah i mean since basically everything there was positive um but i had i had tickets i had plans to go back in april of 2020 Uh, And then hmm. everything, everything. So, um, thankfully though, my, um, my now wife, um, she's Turkish and she has, she has been to Sarajevo and she also wants to go back at some point. Nice. So it's definitely in the docket somewhere. Sounds good. So you come back from that and was was there a challenge for you at all to reintegrate, let's say to. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the place that you are from and, and indeed ended up spending 29 of your 31 years in. Yeah, it was it was just like um, coming back home was boring mm-hmm. and like not not a not like a cruel kind of boring, but it was like, um, you know, I had the stimulation of of trying to figure out a new place and learning about a new place. And I just wanted more of that, like um it was completely um, going back to your own jungle, as so to speak. It just it going home can be nice for a time, but like a couple days in being back in Denver, I was I was like, okay, what's next? It it it's like getting a new tattoo or something, or like um, or eating some of the best food you've ever had. You're like, okay, I want more. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, so I guess it took a couple of years until you were able to get more then, or I'm not sure if you had any travel experiences in the interim, but um, how did it kind of come about that Prague was the next spot for you and how did you make that happen? 
Um, so my mother's side of the family is Czech. Um, she was born there. Um, and my grandparents, uh, were born there and everything. So I'm a uh, first generation American on that side. And my, um, grandfather went to Charles university in Prague. So, um, I, I found a program that was what I was um, interested in at the time. It's uh, geopolitical studies. And so I applied, I was admitted and everything. Um, I was in Prague um, going to school, but I gave myself a month beforehand to kind of uh, get grounded and find some work. So I spent a month um, doing a teaching English course which paid off in 2020. Um, And I, uh, so I learned that for about a month and then jumped into grad school. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to really get grounded because uh, like the whole visa process Mm. um, just got really long. Like I've learned Eastern European bureaucracy really well. And uh, at that point I was, running out of money soon to be illegal. And, um, I just decided to, to tuck tail and run. Honestly, it was, it was, it was just going to be a situation where I was going to be broke alone in another country. It was going to be not so fun. So so I went back to the U (laughs) S fair enough. (laughs) Guess you always have that option. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad I'm like, I'm privileged to have that option. Yeah, definitely agree there. Same here. But uh, so, you know, how how was that experience for you? Just recognizing that, hey, this one isn't going to work out. And I mean, I suppose you you weren't there also for the longest time. And so maybe the integration and then again, reintegration back into the United States maybe wasn't so profound as the first time when you're going and meeting presidents of yeah. countries. But uh, <laughs> what, what, you know, how did you process that and, and how did you decide what was next for you? Um, I, I, I still, you know, I have a very strong connection with Czech culture, so it was just a completely easy integration on the way there and making the decision. It was, it was really just hundred percent financial. You know, Mm -hmm. if, if any of us had the money to continue, we would in most situations, but like getting back to the U S I, I had failed out of grad school. So, Mm -hmm. um, luckily I got my bachelor's degrees that year as well but coming back in 2012 um i i needed something else to do and in high school and some years in university i I worked as a cook so i went back into line cooking at the beginning of 2013 Mm -hmm. and um got some praise for what i was doing so i was like okay let's continue on this path and um it was like after a while I had, I had basically, I had risen to the ranks in one of the um, most interesting restaurant companies in Denver, and um, I became a sous chef and I was a manager at uh, Linger in Denver, and that's when everything happened in 2020. I was there, um, right. so it was just kind of like an escalation of that job path, and I was. Um, traveling internationally as much as I could the whole time hmm. as long as I could afford it. Right. How, where did you go or how did you decide where to go rather and um, make then travel a priority in your life? I mean, how did you also uh, work in the, the time or, you know, get the, get 
frankly, the opportunity logistically to be able to make that happen? Um, I, I used my vacation time mm-hmm. um, and plus some. I always stayed over and like <laughs> basically I, I just like got my foot in the door every time with requests off. I would be like, you know, eight months out, like, okay, these are my dates. I don't know where, where I'm going yet, mm. but I'll just make it work. Like or if I, if I choose the dates, then it's going to be wherever I can go cheapest in that, right. in that time. So um, between 2013 and 2020, I went to Colombia, um, Mexico, Brazil, Singapore, Malaysia, Netherlands, Belgium, um, France, and Spain. Nice. In, in those eight years there. And then um, I had, like I mentioned before, I had plans to return to Bosnia and do a few newer places in um, Central Europe during that time. So, and, but instead, <laughs> came to <laughs> Turkey. Right, right. So um, if we could just pause on that for one second because i want to make sure to get sure. <laughs> this out of the way before uh sure, before sure. we go down your you know most recent and very interesting rabbit path. Hole. so um <laughs> yeah the rabbit hole is uh so you did go and and as as you've said it's been very useful recently for you to get your english teaching credentials and, yeah. and do the courses so do you have specific advice for other people that might be interested in doing that in terms of what credentials they should go for, how they should go about it, what the process was like, how, how you learn these things? You know, it'd be great to hear yeah. your thoughts. Sure, sure. So um, I, I basically, I just chose it as one of those, one of those ways I knew I could get work somewhere. Like um, Prague is one of the places that everyone goes to to learn English. The other place is South Korea. Hmm. So um, I I just chose a school that looked reputable. Um, it was about a thousand dollars for one month of uh, courses, and they're pretty intense courses, five days a week, all day. So um, definitely spent a lot of time with that. And the biggest thing is like I'll I'll go back to how to choose study abroad is like you don't need someone else's language to communicate, and like when you're teaching you can start with the absolute basics. You mm-hmm. can just point it to your head and say, Peter. And then you can point at, your, at an apple and say, this is apple. And that's how you teach language, is like going from the absolute basics. And you don't need to say, uh, you don't need to translate to learn languages. Like translation is actually a really bad way of learning languages. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, like the certification I got was teaching English as a foreign language. I got the, the uh, TEFL certificate. And so I have, um, I, but I got that certificate in addition to teaching, teaching speakers of English, sorry, teaching English as a secondary language, a TESOL certificate. Okay. So there's the TEFL and TESOL. Okay. And I got both in the, in the um, time span of a month there. Is it important to get both of them? I guess I'm not super clear. Obviously, I don't know the sure. space that well, but what what the main difference? Because it obviously uh, sounds kind of similar. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you get the TEFL language um, certification, then you can teach English to people. Mm-hmm. That's that's the main definition there. But TESOL, a little bit different, is that you basically want to teach English to students that are trying to learn other languages. Mm. So it's like teaching English in the world of teaching languages. Okay. 
Um, Like you want to be able to not only be certified in like teaching English to somebody, but is if, if you knew how to, you would be able to teach maybe um, Spanish or something Mm -hmm. else. Like uh, my second language is Spanish and I might be able to teach a Czech person Spanish, for instance. Right. Right. Okay. Um, At least the basics. So it's just kind of branching beyond just English as well. Yeah. And were there programs that you maybe evaluated that were longer than a month or is a month kind of the standard and what people should expect going into it? Because it sounds not only affordable, but reasonable and time-wise and just overall investment for the opportunity to have that skill set and be able to leverage it some now or in the future, right? Well, I've also seen uh, TEFL courses that are 16 hours. And I don't know exactly how many hours I did in a month, but definitely a lot more than that. Hmm. So it's like TEFL is a fairly easy certificate to get, but it's, I think a month is about the standard, but I've been, I've been uh, far out of that search for a little while for nine years now. Yeah. So is it it something you have to re up and sort of get, you know, refresher courses on, or once you have it, you're good to go? Well, it really, it's, it's just like a, it's just like a certificate that you get. And then after that, people look for experience. So Mm -hmm. as long as you keep teaching, um, those basics always remain with you. Like, uh, like you just, you learn, you spend more time teaching the language than you do like, uh, learning teaching techniques so Mm -hmm. you really just have to have to use your time in the lessons to teach yourself more yeah it's just a thing you get with experience sure so uh you you get that then we talked about your career as a chef and i was curious Mm -hmm. during that time of course you traveled as much as you could given the you know vacations and breaks that you had but did you have any intention to try to live abroad again, let's say outside of the United States for any long period of time? Of course, we can, we'll get to how it all managed to happen in your case. But did you have uh, any idea of maybe you can get to some restaurant, uh, premier restaurant in some other part of the world or anything like that? Um, I, I kind of wanted to use restaurants as like a stepping stone to get somewhere else. Um, I had applied to a few random jobs at points. Like I, I applied to work on uh, Etihad Airways as like a as a plane chef at one point. I had applied for like six years in a row. I wanted to work in Antarctica just mm-hmm. for like the summer season, and it's that's a pretty like built in community. So like they don't really hire outside of their community very often, mm-hmm. unless they have to. But um, I, I never got callbacks for that. <laughs> But like, I definitely wanted to go spend a lot of time in another place, but it was always the limitations of the job. Like I was needed in a kitchen um, right. in one place, you know? Sure. Okay. So that takes us to 2020. Now the yeah. big reveal. <laughs> so I'll let yeah. you take it from here. But if you could just kind of run us through, I guess, the play-by-play to the extent that you're, you know, uh, able to and, and, you know, whatever you want to kind of talk about and yeah. talk us through, it'd be great to hear what you've been up to the last year. Yeah. Um, so December 19, I was still in Denver, um, like still very much involved in the chef life there. And um, I met, uh, I met my now wife there. Um, we were we were just dating at first, um, starting in December, and then 
um, things moved pretty quickly. It was just, it was obvious. I've been in enough relationships at that point to just know when something was completely straightforward. It was like, um, it was a priority from like Mm -hmm. the first day of meeting each other. So Mm -hmm. everything happened for um, people in the U S around like the second week of March. Mm -hmm. So my, my date when everything changed was March 16th um, of 2020. We, we had made the decision, the painful decision of um, sending her back to Turkey um, on March 14th. Mm. Um, Basically like I came home uh, one night and she was, she was staying with me at that point. And, um, she was, she was completely distraught. We, we both like stayed up most of the night, um, just mm-hmm. talking about it and bought a plane ticket for her. And I knew that there would be no way for me to adjust that quickly. So I had to stay behind. And, uh, not only did she leave on the 16th, but I also, um, potentially as well as everyone else in the city lost my restaurant job. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I was kept on first as a first as a volunteer, but we also like as we closed the restaurants down. But then we got back up to a takeout only kind of state, and then we we basically moved back into um, half capacity by the summer. So I was still employed through that time, thankfully. Um, but that that basically got us up to August. But in the in the meantime, unfortunately, um, she just really knew. She knew that she needed to go back and be with her family. And mm-hmm. in May of 2020, um, her father was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's just like um, on like a higher being kind of level mm-hmm. that her father knew that she needed to come back and he was basically like saying, I want to see you before I die. It's intense. And he, so, and he said that back in March. He said that before she left basically wow. like he, huh. yeah, he didn't know he had cancer at that point, at least from a diagnostic perspective. But huh. yeah, he, he was diagnosed in May and he passed in August, nine mm. days before I got there. So mm. uh, before I got here, So yeah, he, uh, I had my plane ticket and I knew that he was very sick, but, uh, we didn't make it in time. I I was able to meet him on video calls. So Mm. that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I got here in August 15th. Basically I was, I was, uh, leading up to that. I I wasn't, um, in a good headspace as most people I think were, um, I was, I was just increasingly depressed from um, not having my partner, even though we had only been together for a short time. And um, also the, just the prospect of losing my job again was just right. really like on my mind constantly. So um, I, I came to Turkey with just one goal. I just needed to be with her and like, mm-hmm. I was going to, I was going to make it work in any way possible. So um, I came with the essentials. Basically, I, I have things here, like enough to go on a few weeks trip. But uh, we we moved into an apartment. That's where we are now. I Now we live in uh, the hills of Chankaya, is one of the areas of Ankara. And 
it's a it's a good good apartment and a good neighborhood and uh in october we got married we just knew that the best chance of us being together smoothing out all of the details was going to be um getting married it's it's quite obvious that if you're in a long distance relationship and something like covid happens then you need to you need to be married in order to be together and mm. I never thought that I would be the one to just the be uh, to be the one to get married uh, without knowing someone for more than a year, but it happened, <laughs> and yeah, it was just so obvious the whole time. Mm. Right. So yeah, to that to that extent, I mean, you know, it, it sounds like as you say, it's so obvious. So what they say about um, you know you'll know kind of thing when you meet somebody. Yeah. I guess you you would agree with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going through a few relationships before, like some good, some bad. And then like um, when, you know, it's cheesy that when the right person comes along, you know, Mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I'm, I'm really glad that I had enough of the headspace to just know that about myself is like that. That's the one. Right. Right. Yeah. That's great to have that certainty. So um, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think it's, it's inspiring to me and I'm sure a lot of the others that are listening and not to get too in the weeds or too technical on it, but just generally speaking, I imagine some people are wondering, how did you make this move in the midst of COVID, the pandemic? And I know a lot of people are stuck in place or, you know, things like this. So if you could just tell us a bit how you actually got out of the United States and got into Turkey and, and how it it happened in a more like logistical sense. That would be great. God, that was a, that was a really, really hard process. Like I'm, I'm always on websites looking at airfares and stuff. That's how I chose my trips in the past. Right. And (laughs) yeah. um, So in July of last year, it's just kind of like looking through um, different ways to get there, but so many borders were closed. It's something I've never had to think about before having that, American passport, that privilege, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, everything's open to us. I think at this point, most places are still open to us. And so, um, the traditional way to fly from the U S to Turkey would be through Europe, mm-hmm. through the Schengen area. And the Schengen area has been sealed shut. I think it's, I, I haven't checked recently, but I think it's still sealed for us. So, um, I had to find another way to hop around because they weren't even allowing transit through the airports. So I mm. couldn't even fly through Amsterdam or something. I had to, um, I had to go like, um, either over or around. So I looked at a flight for Qatar Airways that was going to be good. Um, I saw one through Morocco that I was going to make happen. And then, um, then the UK, uh, came up. It was, it was fairly easy to um, buy a British Airways flight. So um, what I did was first I went from Denver to Portland, Oregon, um, where uh, my dad lives now. And so I uh, spent a couple days with him and then kind of launched back east and um, went through Chicago, then London Heathrow and Istanbul and finally Ankara. So, I mean, with those four flights, uh, four flights in one day, um, none of them short except the last one. Um, 
it, it was basically like 30 hours of nonstop travel from Portland to Ankara and extremely hectic during that time. August was a really bad time in the world. Mm-hmm. And so like having the mask on, it was, you know, rubbing my uh, nose, tugging my ears because I had it on for 30 hours yeah, yeah. and uh, didn't have a chance to shower. Um, I'm thinking the whole time my brain is buzzing. Like the border is probably going to close while I'm in, in the air. Like mm-hmm. who knows mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Sure. So I was expecting to get to Turkey and just be like, nope, you're getting on a repatriation flight. You're, right. you're denied. Right. But Turkey was open the whole, almost the whole time. Um, the borders of Turkey were closed between this last December, December 2020, and, um, and like a few weeks into January. And that was just because there was a big spike and right. getting, actually getting here was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I even came to the, came to the customs in Istanbul, just like ready to say, ready to feel like a, like someone escaping world war two, just like, um, my, my wife is here yet, or, you know, I was going to say wife, she wasn't yet, but, um, my wife is here. You have to let me in. I had, I had papers, everything. And she scanned my passport and she's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're like a, you looked you looked at my documents right <laughs> yeah she's like everything came up electronically uh turkey does the e-visa so everything was just um on the screen in front and right. like wow i was expecting like soviet style just <laughs> you need to check your papers and <laughs> yeah, it's good that it didn't it didn't happen that way but it is quite fortunate then that it ended up being turkey that you were headed to and of course that your your wife yes. was living there given this very specific reason i mean if nothing else right i mean if it was schengen we would still be separated if it was anywhere in europe or like uh canada i mean if she was canadian i still wouldn't even be able to do anything with it so i i just know how incredibly lucky we are it's ridiculous um that every that everything panned out the way it did and and especially with how hospitable turkey has been to me yeah, definitely. So had you been to Turkey before? Or this was literally stepping off the plane in Istanbul was the first time? Bosnia is the closest thing I've been to. It's, it used to be Ottoman, but right. um, yeah, stepping off the plane in Istanbul. I had I'd gotten flavors of Turkey before. Like I knew, I knew the food fairly well. And, you know, speaking, speaking excuse me, with my wife, uh, we just, oh, we, I had known, known some basic Turkish, but um, completely foreign land, foreign smells and everything. It's like stepping off the plane and smelling the air for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's always like my, that's, that's my revelatory experience. My epiphany. It's <laughs> right. like, Oh, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and what were those first days and even first couple months like? And of course, not, not um, even talking about the the marriage part, but just, getting your head around being in a brand new country and new culture and uh, you know, everything being new. Well, I, um, I isolated at first. We still didn't see each other for another five days after I got in because I got a PCR test and, um, they still weren't very like quick or advanced at that point. So it was, um, I just sat in a hotel for most of the day and I would go outside to get food and, um, maybe walk around, but still like no contact with people. And then on the sixth day, we we finally met and we reunited, and it was so strange. 
with mm. everything that happened, it was just like surreal. Like we were, and, and truly like we, we only knew each other um, for five months on, on our phones and like mm-hmm. looking at a screen. So like at, touching each other for the first time in five months, just like a simple hug. It, it felt like I was a glitch in the matrix and <laughs> like, uh, like something was wrong. Um, like right. it was just such a surreal feeling. And then after like a day, we, we like, um, it really started to sink in and we were like, um, you know, that we we're back together. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was just so strange. <laughs> Cause I, I guess um, and then, Doing doing the math in my head, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, you were actually apart at that point for longer than you'd been together. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And and still, everything was so obvious. It was like, what what could we do? Like, you know, break up on a video call and and uh, and and just like basically never have the opportunity to see each other again. Like, who knows what was going to happen at that point? Right. So. Like in August was just such an unstable time in the world. It was just like a, you know, that was a, I had to do it at that point or never. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can, but, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Her, um, her family has helped along the way, just like, um, and her, and her friends too. Most of her friends speak English since she met most of them in university. And mm. so, uh, I've just, I've had an incredible support system here. And then I guess, again, to get to the, the nitty gritty, but I'd be curious yeah. to know how you've managed to support yourself and I guess your wife now in terms of yeah. being able to make money there and knowing that you came from a chef career and seeing if you've been able to <laughs> keep with that or do something entirely different. Um, I, the, the chef, it's, it's a bad time to be a chef mm-hmm. and some, of, some have managed to make it. But um, the wages in Turkey for a cook are just really not high enough for for uh, me to sustain us both because she's a teacher and um, the schools were remote learning for a while. So um, not only that, she's a special ed teacher, and so you really mm-hmm. need like a you really need a physical presence there. Right. So she's hoping to get back to work in the fall, but in the meantime, um, we've just been finding finding work online. Like I've been using the English teaching. Thankfully that happened. And I had that certificate to go find a job with. So mostly that's most of our wages right there is the English teaching. And then um, we do online work, um, collaborations with expat empire, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, just along the way, like we've been just having to hustle, honestly, like I've never yeah. had to, I've never had to just like re-enter a job market like that before. I had uh, years of other jobs to build on. Right. So, yeah, hopefully soon um, she's going to get work again, like steady work, because our wages now are basically like keeping us keeping us afloat, but it's not something to build a life on, really. Got it. Got it. And I guess to also get into a bit of the romantic side, so I'd love to hear sure. about how the the wedding or the marriage came together. And <laughs> di- I mean, as you say, it was I guess so obvious from the beginning, um, but still, I know a lot of people. Uh, I mean, probably maybe you and definitely me included were um, thinking about how to make those decisions about indeed yeah. being together as um, a multinational couple. I guess you could call it. Yeah, dealing with the visas, dealing with all this stuff, and and where marriage kind of factors into that 
assuming you're not already married before you go to a new country? Yeah, well, um, it it wasn't it wasn't hard for me thanks to my um, American passport. Like, I really do think that that gave me preferential treatment in a lot of cases here. Um, they're just they know that I'm not a refugee. They they know that I'm not from Syria, which is the big one here. There's six million refugees from Syria in Turkey. It's mm-hmm. the largest refugee population in the world, I think, right now. Oh wow! So. Okay. Um, so there's there's this this huge huge animosity towards immigrants from anywhere else in the Middle East, and Turkey's like really um, taking on a, a non hospitable culture towards mm-hmm. the refugees, just because it's so difficult to um, to make lives for six million more people when there's already still poverty in Turkey, and it's an advanced country for sure, but it's definitely one that's in some several very sticky situations right now. Mm-hmm. But to get back to like the marriage of it is like all I had to do really was we had I had to prove that I was me. Um, I had to get some documents together. We visited um, we visited like her um, place of residence, office, the the marriage office specifically, and um, just filled out a lot of forms and paid some fees. And then when the when it came time to set a date. We were we were given um, October tenth, ten ten twenty twenty, and I mean, like, what's more romantic than that is like getting a easy to remember marriage date yeah. after all that struggle, <laughs> right? Yeah, and just like going through the through the process, I would say it was um, made easy for me because she's a she's a Turkish person from Ankara, mm-hmm. so in in her own jungle, right. and. Um, when we got up to the wedding and everything, um, it was completely 100% a civil ceremony um, because they don't offer um, they don't offer weddings in Turkey in religious buildings since it's a secular republic. And um, we got married in the um, Sinjan Milidiyesi. It's the um, municipal office building. Mm-hmm. Um, Sinjan is a it's one of the towns around Ankara, and uh, it's where she lived for 15 years where her mom still lives. And uh, yeah, we just, we got married under a picture of Ataturk and the Turkish flag and everything. And um, my mom made it out there. It was incredible. She, she stayed with us for five weeks. Um, oh, wow. It was, cool. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. She, she, uh, after, after we told the family that we were getting married, um, she basically broke down and said, I have to go. And she <laughs> flew out. Um, she, she did the journey herself, having a mask on for 30 hours. It was incredible. Wow. Twice. Yeah. She flew back too. Right. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And she stayed with us and we popped around the country, but the, uh, the, the marriage was quick. Um, I think all told it was about 45 minutes and, then we went to a restaurant uh, where we could social distance the tables, and we just uh, basically like we we got a wedding hall for three hours in a larger restaurant, and uh, then got we we got gifts from everybody. We we did the ceremonial cutting of a cake with a really long sword, <laughs> and then <laughs> did you get to keep I, the I was, sword after? <laughs> oh God, I was hoping I was I was hoping for just like a. a they would hand it to me for good. <laughs> oh. Um, and then afterwards we went to a restaurant and had some, um, 
had some fun times with some friends and called it good. That was it. You know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a big build up weekend long ceremony that I was imagining like an Eastern, uh, like an Eastern Europe, Middle Eastern kind of wedding to be. So that was culture shock for me. It was like just how quick and formal the wedding is, of course, but just how um, there's not that much fanfare, especially in the, in the COVID times. It was just like a, like yeah. got to get it done and you can celebrate later kind of thing. Yeah. Right on. Awesome. Well, it's been great to hear the story so far. So I'm curious on what the future for you looks like. If you have any plans for the next you know, couple years or, you know, whether that's staying in Turkey or going elsewhere, going yeah. to the U S obviously, I mean, you know, passing this current situation, but if you look forward another yeah. year or two, what, what does that look like for you? Um, I, I, I did get my residency card and everything. It's, nice. um, this allows me to be in the, um, social system for the next three years. And then after this, I can apply for a citizenship if I want, we'll see if that's necessary. Um, and in the meantime, we're doing the same thing for her. So she's, we're currently in the middle of the application process and waiting to hear back from various offices in the U S and, um, so the idea is that we just, we have residency in both countries so that whatever we choose, we can easily be with one another. And so like Mm. if, you know, if for instance, we have to move back to Turkey for something. I'll be able to apply for my residency here again, or just have citizenship. And then, uh, she'll be able to come to the U S if need be. But, uh, having either one of the visas is going to give us the opportunity to live anywhere in the world if we want to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, if you have any specific advice in closing for people that want to live abroad and especially in a place like Turkey, I guess you've only been there for, you know, what, seven months now or so. So it's probably still early days, yeah. but, um, I'm sure there are other people that are interested in those options and especially maybe in that region of the world that we aren't able to cover as frequently so far as I would like in the podcast. So any thoughts would be great. Um, I, I just know that like whatever it is, it's going to be hard. Um, there's <laughs> absolutely, there's absolutely nothing about like moving where you think like, Oh, you know, that was, that was just like normal life. Every, everything you do is going to be, uh, either a change in your habits or it's going to like use some sort of your skills to get by. And like, thankfully I'm very happy to always do the bureaucratic work. And so that's, that's one thing that helped me along. Um, but it's like, just embrace the challenge. Like, there's nothing in your life that's like worth having comes to you easy. So mm. just like, know, know what you, exactly what you want and just, just, push for it as hard as you can and and you'll get it it's living abroad is an incredible experience and um, i wouldn't want anyone to to not feel like it's for them if they Mm. want to like there's no reason to be deterred except for like our physical means we should just do what we want because we want it i think and i guess to that end did you have a certain amount of money you know, thankfully set aside or available to you to be able to make that move when you did in August or, you know, I, I imagine some people are thinking about how, how they need to prepare financially for such a move. And yours was in, I guess, an interesting you know, kind of precarious time. Um, so you were able to make that, but do you have any thoughts about how, you know, people can prepare for that financially outside of the mental and emotional aspects? 
I had a, I had a few thousand dollars ready to go when I left in August, and then it was after that like I, I we needed to sort of move quickly. So once I got the job going, I finally got paid in November. So there was a three month stretch where I had to last off of savings. So yes, you need savings, um, even. Yeah. Even in a place like Turkey, is relatively cheap for Americans, um, and even with my support system, we still we still needed um, to have that back that thing to back us up, and that's what we're building again to move back to the U.S. for maybe a short amount of time or move somewhere else. We just need right. to have that savings. Yeah, that makes sense. At least some sort. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So to that end, uh, for listeners that are interested in finding out more about what you do and what you're up to is there any way that they can keep tabs on it on i don't know any social media or websites anything like that yeah um so like uh like david mentioned i'm um writing for um expat empire once in a while uh we're putting out articles together so um apart from that i have an instagram it's uh just one word peters out there and so that's uh, it's been a pretty heavy chronicle of the places I've been in Turkey, but I started it um, before we left because I knew that if there was ever an opportunity to um, kind of share what's going on in a very visible way, that that was it. So mm-hmm. Peter's out there is basically showing exactly what I'm seeing on a daily basis in Turkey. Right on. Well, there will be links in the show notes for that. Hopefully more people will follow you there. I'll make sure that I'm following as well, just to keep tabs on what all is going on uh, in that side of the world. But thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been awesome to hear about your adventures in the last year and looking forward to more adventures with you and your wife, whether in Turkey or other parts of the world. Yeah. Thank you, David. It's been great. Um, been great talking about it. It's still a surreal thing to talk about. (laughs) I can imagine. All right. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.